This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Excuse everyone and welcome to a new episode of the Good Old Podcast. I'm Jack Franchilli for Wahoo's 24-7. On this week's episode, I'm actually doing something a little bit differently. On Sunday night, we held a Twitter space uh, to discuss what we have learned during fall camp and answer questions from the fans. So what I decided is to get that recording and make it available through here as well. So if you missed Twitter space or just don't have Twitter, you have the ability to listen into that conversation, listen into some of the answers that I had to some of those fan questions. So without further ado, here's this Twitter space that we had on Sunday night. All right, everyone, um, we'll just get started. Um, if you want to ask a question, just uh, let me know. Just Message me or just let me know that you have a question by raising your hand or requesting to speak and I will uh, bring you on. So, yeah, so I felt like um, a lot of us here are curious about everything's going on with UVA football camp. Um, it's been it's been very fun covering them. Um, you know, I was I was not here for much of Bronco Mendenhall's tenure. I was just here for one season. So I don't have much to compare to how it was the previous staffs, but I was here under Mike London's tenure as well. And I've also covered, you know, other teams like the Florida Gators and the Miami Hurricanes. Um, it's been nice to see football back and just the energy that you see around grounds. It's been very, very energetic. And uh, what I really liked seeing when I walked in there on the first two practices was just the attention to detail that you see at fall camp and these guys are very receptive to everything you see and you see the, the coaching staff really taking in those details. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the biggest takeaway I've seen from fall camp right now is everyone's open and also just the, how much conditioning and how much nutrition has really affected their physicality and their body. You see Aaron Famui and you just go, man, that guy looks Thinner, but muscular at the same time. He's lost about 18 pounds, I think is what he said. Um, so you just see how much these guys really work this offseason. So I'm also bringing in OG Who here. Hold on, let me make sure to unmute him. Yeah, I'm here. I'm just picking up the groceries. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I'm also going to bring in guys a few again if you have a question. Um, I know here, Jeremy Lee, you have a question. So let's just start opening it up to people to get talk here. Hi, Jeremy. Hello. 
Do you have a question for us about what? what oh you yeah, I just camp or what? Uh, I mean, I I, I did uh, have a question. Um, I just I just wanted to know what what the what the energy was like, and if you're able to share any X's and O's kind of details. I'm very curious on what the defense might be looking like. Um, just as far as like a, an alignment standpoint, if you have that kind of information. Yeah, sure. So um, that's something that, you know, uh, if you go on a 24-7, we try to give a lot of the notes that we are able to see. Uh, we are only allowed the first about 30, 40 minutes of practice. Uh, we haven't really seen any 11-11 work. That's kind of still behind closed doors. But we do get to see a little bit of, you know, right before stretching, we get to see them a little bit about what the, who's running with the ones a little bit, who's running with the twos. Um, so for the defense, we do see that they're running more with five DBs. Uh, that is, that is something that they've spoken to a little bit about how they want to switch their scheme. Um, so I wrote that on Friday evening, the five DBs that I saw kind of running together were like Anthony Johnson, Darius Bratton, Antonio Clary, Langston Long, and Cohen King, uh, were the guys that I saw running with the ones. So, and then you saw, you know, guys like Mike Green and uh, Jameer Carter and Ben Smiley. Kind of, I saw them kind of rotated ones. And Josh Ahern and Nick Jackson were two of the linebackers that I saw rotated with the ones. Um, with, um, if I remember right, Hunter Stewart and James Jackson saw times with the twos. And then you had Cam Butler and Chico Bennett in that banded position uh, with Cam running with the ones and Chico Bennett running with the twos. Um, obviously this is still, you know, and Aaron Famui also ran with the ones. So obviously they're going to rotate a lot. And that's something these guys were talking about is they wanted to get depth in those positions, especially in the front defensive front. And when you look at that, I think that's actually going to be a strength on this team. If you see just the talent that they have on the defensive front and what the guys that are returning, what they've been able to do in the off season with their bodies and just mentally, um, you know, talking to Ben Smiley, for instance, after practice on Wednesday, you just seen, how mentally he said he's he's gotten stronger he had dealt with a lot of adversity during his time at uva and he's he finally feels healthy finally feels good um so when i look at that depth chart i really like what you see on that d-line that's something that i made a note on friday um and what i said early when we just started you see the details that these coaches are working on and it's not just you know coach cox is not just working with dbs and Coach Slade's not just working with, you know, the defensive ends. When they go into these individual drills, these coaches are working with several different position groups. So they're working on hip placement, looking on foot placement, working on how you should tackle with your, where, how you should lean your shoulder. Um, it's just those little minute details that will matter um, when you, you know, you're working on tackling, for instance, which is something that a lot of you have made a note of it during last season. So, yeah, so there's a, a lot of good things when you look on the defensive side of the ball because that's a, obviously a big question from last year. But I think a, I, I'm not as concerned with the defense. I know a lot of people will say, well, you know, we looked at numbers last year. But, again, the defense last year I felt like had talent, but the personnel was placed in the wrong position to succeed. You, They were moving to a different scheme, and they didn't have the personnel correct for that scheme. So I think – a lot of it was placed on the players and, you know, they were saying, you know, there was this misassignment, this misassignment. But I think 
to the detriment of last year's team. I think the scheme was just way too complicated. At the same time, the personnel just, they didn't have the personnel to run that scheme. I think this year, what I do like is the way that they're approaching with the personnel that they have is putting, putting these guys in positions to succeed. You always, you always want to look at the athletes that you have and they're not forcing guys in position. Like guys that I felt were more recruited as edge rushers uh, in the previous staff weren't in their prime position to succeed. They were kind of going more inside, and that was a struggle with them because, you know, they had to learn a different skill set they might have been comfortable with. You know, I, I'm curious to see what this staff does with certain of those guys that were recruited as edge rushers but not necessarily were placed in those positions, the guys like Deshaun Perry, for instance. So, um, yeah, I think that's the, the big thing, and I think there is a lot of talent on this team, a lot of young talent. Um, you know, like, you know, guys like James Jackson, guys like Langston Long, guys like Hunter Stewart. I feel like those are the guys that I'm really curious to see how they do this year. And guys that have been kind of lurking in the background. You know, like I said, Ben Smiley has been getting rave reviews by staff members. Um, and I think those are the guys that I'm really curious to see how they de- developed in the offseason, not just physically, I think mentally. I think a lot of it, you know, they went through COVID, the pandemic. They went through a, a period of time where they, they couldn't visit families. A lot of stuff, they had a lot of mental strain placed upon them. These are young men that had a lot kind of thrown at them in the last thrown at them in the last few years. So it's it'll be interesting to see how this all comes together this year. And a lot of good things um, I've been hearing. And obviously, it's only been you know two practices that we've been able to see, but you can already tell some of the energy difference. And you know, I was watching them like I'm tired just by seeing them run one side or the other. And you can see that they they really like that energy. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I agree with you about the talent level. I think the talent has always been there. I just don't think it's been utilized in the correct way. So hopefully uh, Coach Elliott and staff can uh, make that happen this year. For sure. Yeah, there will be a uh, – I think all of us just wanted to have a play a football game <laughs> for uh, the Richmond game to see how everything goes along. But um, Tremaine, I know you, you have a request here. Let me allow you to talk here. I asked a quick question. I'll go ahead and throw it out there because I know somebody about to ask, but I'm going to ask before you. Anything with the offensive line you got to give us? And then number two, any, you know what I'm saying, any first years you talk to, how those guys getting acclimated to grounds and, you know, the system and everything? Well, for first thing, it's just nice seeing bodies on the O-line after the spring. Man, I, you know, Kudos to Coach 2J, man. It, it must have been hard to seeing that old line with so many injuries in the spring. And I think I think at the end of the day, it was uh, probably around seven or eight healthy linemen in the spring. Um, so it was uh, it was tough for, you know, everyone to really grade the O-line with just so many injuries to that group. But, you know, I think, you know, talking to Noah, jo- Noah Joe Josie, for instance, which I shame for him for having hot sauce in his smoothie i I, like a man should not put hot sauce in a smoothie i shamed him quite steadily when i saw him after practice um but apparently he said it adds flavor i i i don't know yeah um that i i told him the only time i've added something that strains when i was pregnant with my first where i put maple syrup on fried cod that's as far as complicated and that and i blame the pregnancy on that but no, the O-line, you know, when you look at the O-line, I think what a lot of people don't realize when you look at the O-line, yes, they don't have much game experience. Yes, they lost a lot. And Tony Elliott said it perfectly. The, he wished he had more time to recruit those players or he had an ability to recruit those players a lot more to stay. 
Um, but even some of those guys just went wanted to go play back home, like Ryan Swoboda. He just wanted to go play back home. So I don't know how much he would be able to convince those guys to stay. Um, they got the extra COVID year. Why not play uh, by by family? But they do have a lot of players in that room that, yes, they didn't have game experience, but they have experience in the college program. They also have experience playing under players that were great at their positions. Um, they also know Coach 2J, and they know his coaching style. Um, and I think Noah Josie said it perfectly. Because Coach 2J remained and – they understood what certain lingo and certain language that the new staff were saying. They understood a little bit better because Coach 2J can be their translator for them, basically. He said Coach 2J was acting as her translator, where, you know, Brendan Armstrong said it the same thing as the kickoff. The biggest challenge was learning the lingo that this new staff was coming in compared to what the older staff is more NFL lingo. So the so Noah was saying that 2J allowed a better transition because when the new staff said this, then they would turn to 2J. It's like, this is what we used to call it. And it's a little easier for that transition. Um, you know, Jonathan Leach is one that has been steady praise from several of the staff members and Logan Taylor as well. Because another guy um, has been, you know, guy that's been consistently been talked about. Um, I'm interested to see how much John Paul Flores features in. He, you know, he's one that Coach 2J, when I asked him at the media event that we had, is one guy that he said that, you know, is really open to learning and he was always asking about plays. And he's he's an intelligent guy, high football IQ. So I would I would think that he could be a guy that could be a swing guy in different positions. I know they're probably working with him in different positions. You need to do that when you're trying to figure out who your eight, nine, ten guys are. Um, Tony Elliott and Two J said they're confident for about eight right now, and they're looking for more depth as you go further along. So um, for the lineman that was rolled with the ones on Friday. Now, again, I'm going to, I mentioned Leach and Taylor, but those two are wearing a yellow jersey over a green jersey on Friday. So they're not going to be in the ones that I'm going to list right now. Um, doesn't look like their injuries are that strenuous. I think it's mostly out of caution, you know, concerning guy Logan Taylor is coming off of injury. Um, and it looks like from what, from what I can tell, most guys in green jerseys alone were coming back from an injury. And the guys with the yellow were still wearing pads, but they weren't participating in all the drills. So I don't think this is going to be a worry for injury, but we do get Tony Elliott on uh, Monday evening so we can ask him about those guys and see if they're back and playing with the team. But the ones that I saw were Charlie Patterson, Noah Josie, Ty Furnish, Derek Devine, and Ja Paul Forbes, where the guys are rolling with the ones. Um, during the drills that we were able to see. Um, and then some of the first years there, as far as the O-line, um, Dawson Alters was getting a lot of praise by Coach 2J. Um, he was getting you know, he was getting coached up, and 2J was praising him a lot. Um, first year, we're not allowed to talk to first years on, on campus, on grounds uh, the first year. Um, but Steve Bracey has been one that I've been hearing a lot about. Uh, obviously, he's a mid-year enrollee. Uh, Nick Jackson <laughs> joked with me in AC kickoff that he's keeping him on his toes. And when you see when you see him, um, it's kind of when you look at him, you're like, is this a first year? 
Yeah, he's, he's a grown he man. Doesn't, doesn't look like a first year. He's he's built a little thicker than you would imagine of a first year. And I think he is just like someone went into a lab and made a clone of Nick Jackson and said, here he is. Um, so, yeah, he's definitely one that I'm curious to see how he develops and how much he will actually have an impact this year. Um, and I, I see Will Betridge there on, on our space. I, I think I would be shocked if he doesn't feature this year either as well. Uh, so, um, so yeah, I think that's, uh, the, I think that's the, the two that I would kind of keep an eye on right now. Um, but yeah, a lot of, you know, it's a shame that Dakota Tweedy, uh, is still recovering. Uh, I was curious to see if, uh, if he was able to get healthy enough to, to practice. I think he was going to be my sleeper for an impact player. Uh, because he's he's such a talented guy. Um, even though there's a crowded wide receiver room, I thought he could uh, sneak in a, a few reps here and there. But it's uh, yeah, I think that's all the the O line is uh, definitely got more bodies there, which is nice. And uh, the first years, you know, it's it's tough coming in if you you know your your first couple of practices with that type of speed and how they transition very quickly, but. You know, all they're they're putting nose to the ground and working. I got you know, if you look at our sights and sounds, you see some Xavier Browns there, and you see some clips of him. And that guy is a speedy dude. Um, he'll be fun to watch during his college career. But uh, Tremaine, um, I got you on there. What question do you have? Hey Jack, how you doing? Um, Good. What's up, uh, What's up, man? How's everybody doing? Uh, so I can't remember if it was if it was something I was watching on a YouTube ESPN thing or ESPN podcast, but. Um, someone was talking about how um, they saw Virginia as a sleepers, like one of those teams that people aren't really talking about, but uh, you better be careful. Um, and I know it's been early, just a few practices, but would you would you somewhat agree with that assessment just based off of some of the things that you saw at uh, practice? Do you think that we're a team people aren't really talking about, but they probably should? I, I, I thought that even before fall camp. Uh, started just because of the way the schedule lines up. Um, when you look at the schedule and you look how the schedule starts off with it, when you have an O line that needs time to gel, I mean, the way they start is what any first first time head coach wants. You know, you start off with Richmond, you go to Illinois, home at Old Dominion, hold it away at Syracuse and at Duke. You know, Las Vegas said Virginia is a seven and a half. I think is a, the prediction that they had for UVA. I can I can see that as the minimum between six and seven, um, but I can see them winning nine games. Uh, that's something that I've done the prediction. Actually, OG and I did a prediction podcast together, and I, I can see them. You know, being let's see, two, three, maybe a five and O oh to start the year. And then um, in my prediction story that I'm actually writing, I had their first loss coming and the homecomings against Louisville. Um, so I can see that type of start and giving the O-line a chance to breathe and just getting adjust because again, like I said earlier, I think the defense is going to be better than what people assume because they do have the talent on that side of the ball. And obviously, if you look at the offense, there's a lot of great skilled players there that are returning. Obviously, you have Brendan Armstrong. And if you ever had an O-line and needed time, what you would need is a, a guy like Brendan Armstrong to give you a little extra oomph there. And having a guy that can release the ball as quickly as Brendan can and having guys like Octavian Wicks and Lavelle Davis who can make 
plays happen or Keaton Thompson, those are the type of players that can make a difference for you when you're trying to adjust with O-line. And then obviously you can play around with your play calling when it comes to trying to cover maybe some discrepancy on the O-line. You know, I remember covering Dan Mullen's first season and they were playing against Mississippi State at Mississippi State, which was one of the best D-lines in the SEC at that point. And and then University of Florida's O-line was having the same type of problem. They were kind of in a in a trying to, I guess, rebuild phase. Um, again, Dan Mellon at that point came into a situation where they didn't recruit Jim McQueen's staff, didn't recruit O-lines as well. And they were able to kind of play around that defensive line and make him obsolete because the way they had their play calling, they did short passes to the outside. And they were able to kind of, kind of, kind of, I guess, not show their weakness. Um, and they were able to kind of go around that Mississippi State defensive line, and they beat Mississippi State on the road that day. So there are ways to play call around your O-line just for until they gel, and that's something that Florida did during that season, and they did it very well. So that's why I think the O-line should be okay, especially with how the season begins. So I can see UVA being the sleeper this year just because of the talent that they have on this team that a lot of people forget because they have this, oh, about the O-line question. You know, Let's look at defensive stat from last year. But I, I think when you look at the schedule, you can see why people said they can be a sleeper. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Tremaine, you seen them jerseys, man? You seen them them edited jerseys? Man, I, now I told Jackie, I said she need to go, she need to make sure them blacks become reality. Now, you, don't, you don't get the tease. Man, like that. That, that got me good. I was so excited for some black jerseys. I saw that, and then I went on Instagram, and I'm like, I need to see if I can copy these. I want to see what filter they use. To, and they to, had me all the report yeah. looking silly. I can't believe they did that to me. Oh, OG was excited, boy. <laughs> I was like, we won. We won. We finally won. <laughs> they got me. They got me, though. That's good stuff right there. And you don't think they'll have orange ones at all? You don't think they'll do any orange helmets or anything like that, Jackie? Uh, I'm not sure. I just, I just know there's some. Uh, I, I've been hearing little things saying there's going to be exciting alternates this year. I don't know the details of it. I just know there's something exciting happening this year. Um, I've joked like, okay, so this, maybe the black jerseys can come. They're like, I think a lot of people are more focused on the traditional looks, um, which actually I really like the fact that they are paying like homage to the traditional looks. I think it kind of follows what you think of Tony Elliott building the foundation and bringing the alums back. So I kind of get the strategy there. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think I understand why the traditional look. So I, and there's something going to happen. That's all I've been told, but I haven't told any specifics. Okay. Gotcha. Do you see, um, uh, do you feel like with the, the coming of the new football facility, do you see that is already starting to be a positive impact with recruiting with this new coaching staff? I think having facilities is always going to help. Um, I think, you know, once they had their first big official visitor weekend, actually in June, a few days after they had that groundbreaking. And I asked a few of those players and a few of those players did say like having that there did show them like, for example, Miles Green was during that first official weekend. And he said, yeah, it shows that, you know, 
he said, you know, Tony Elliott got there and, you know, look at that. They're having a groundbreak. Things are moving forward. They're showing that, you know, they're investing in my future if I decide to go. At this point, he didn't commit to UVA. This was before his visit, and I was talking to him before his visit. So then after his visit, I asked him again, and he said the same thing. It's not going to be this, like, light switch or this thing that says, oh, we have UVA's facilities. They're going to win all these battles. That's not how it works. But it's one less thing that college A and college B can tell recruits that UVA doesn't have. I think that's the big thing is you're always going to have teams negatively recruit you. So you're trying to figure out a way not to have stuff for other teams to do and also show them, like, listen to parents and to, to these guys saying, listen, we're investing in your future. This is what UVA is bringing. Not only are we going to invest in your future on the academic side and on your career side, what you want to do future, like Tony Elliott's saying, it's not a four-year decision, it's a 40 decision, but we're also showing you what we can do football-wise and having these facilities. And one thing that, you know, that you can tell from the players and what Tony Elliott was saying, that he wanted to do some changes facilities-wise by adding more nutrition aspects to it. And even now, the Florida facilities, uh, even, you know, got this start in construction, he's doing nutrition as uh, emphasis in the off season. And, you know, all the guys I've spoken to, you know, Ben Smiley, uh, Noah Josie, um, all those, Lavelle Davis, they all have mentioned the same thing. And nutrition has drastically changed at UVA and how they approach it with Coach Snow at strength and conditioning. So this is not, it's, this is only can help them, but it's not the cure-all. It's, it's just going to be one, le- one more thing that they could advertise for these guys that are coming on, on grounds. But at the same time, it's, you know, coach college A and college B can't use it against you. Um, so it's, it does have an impact, but I'm always the person that says facilities is great, but when everyone else already has one, it's not going to be a positive for you. It just doesn't, doesn't, it's not a negative anymore. And Warren, let me get you on here. All right, Warren, you're you're good to go if you want to go. Um, I did. You kind of touched on it a little bit. I want you to speak more to the um, strength and conditioning and nutritionist, which you see, I think it has been a great transformation of the um the kids' bodies and what they're able to do. So could you speak more to that, please? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm actually trying to work on doing a story on this because it's not, you know, when you when you walk in and you see just, you know, Mike Collins and um, how his body's changed. Antonio Clary is probably in his, it looks the best I've seen him. I remember seeing him in the spring and he's lost so much weight and he has such discipline to get how his body changed through, uh, the last few months, and a lot of them have said they just it's uh, what it's. I think Lavelle Davis put it the best in the spring. He said that before he would only focus on what he was eating or what he was doing, shrimp conditioning wise, when he was hurt. It was like mentally, yes, he would want to get his body right for the season, but he wasn't as focused in on every day to prevent those injuries. It was like there was this disconnect in his mind of what to do before the injury he would do everything for the season but he wouldn't do everything about now folks for example focus on hydration for instance and then now when I spoke to him on Wednesday during the after the first practice he's like now I'm just focusing on getting my body right but I'm doing everything as a not a a, I wouldn't say preventable for injuries preventing injuries but he was saying like I now understand 
what my body needs um, to get it right. You know, hydration is key. You know, I know Coach Elliot said some of the guys were cramping. They were going to talk to them about um, how, how they handle hydration. But that is a big key. You know, again, when I was covering University of Florida, obviously that was the home of Gatorade. And they made that their biggest emphasis when I was there. Um, that was such a big part of their their whole thing was the nutrition aspect. And obviously they have such a big backer in Gatorade since it was created at that school. And that's what UVA is doing is trying to kind of marry nutrition and strength and conditioning. And you can see how much has already helped just with these guys being able to go through this practice. And the practice is very different than what it was previously is just the, the the pace of the practice. It's never, never stopping. These, these guys go from drill to drill. Um, and the pace is quite extreme, especially in the heat too. So conditioning is definitely improved with this. So it's, it's um, I'm curious. I'm again, I'm trying to kind of get us overall a better story on this to kind of see how the differences are. But I, I like the fact that the players are saying they're not just being told they're understanding uh, how they need to kind of operate with their bodies and eating and strength and conditioning so that they prevent injuries, which again, in a season that's hard, like college football, you, you want to have that. So. So a second part to that is the mental health. And you kind of touched on it from the group that came through the COVID, which was something that wasn't normal. So any conversations, anything you hear in reference to that? Yeah, actually, uh, I talked to Keaton a little bit about that um, during ACC kickoff. Keaton is uh, one of the players that really kind of focused in on that. He said he 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 was something that as a leader, he he wants to make people aware that it's okay to talk about things that if you're struggling. And Carla Williams touched on that as well during the day of the groundbreaking for the facilities is that UVA just added a third sports psychologist. And uh, I actually talked to Becca Jarrett from the women's soccer program, and she was talking about that as well, that UVA is putting this focus on mental health. And I think it's something that is lost in a lot of, you know, talk about, you know, physical health and how they're doing conditioning. And I think there's been a, a bigger focus on the offseason this year. And I, like you mentioned, and it's a lot of these student athletes didn't have the normal college experience for at least a year, maybe even two so I think there needs to be a focus on their mental health. And honestly, you know, I've, I've covered recruiting since 2013. And what these players went through in 2013 to what these players go through now is very different. Um, you talk to, you know, some of these high school athletes and the amount of stress that they go to as 17, 18, 19 year olds with the recruiting environment that has developed and changed over the past year is insane um you know i was talking to one former one of the players i covered recruiting in like 2014 2015 and he was saying you know like i like his his cousin who's very uh, he's going to go into recruiting process now he was saying like i i don't know how these guys handle it now um this was a former four-star player he said like i like my seeing my cousin how he's going through now i would be extremely stressed with the amount of you know dms he gets you know he, he's saying like it's on dms it's facebook messages it's tiktok it's all these all these things that's going on and it's it's definitely on and it's it's definitely a different stressor so having a school really focus on mental health is really crucial and especially with light of the news that we've seen with some of the stuff going around with uh, student athletes so it's nice to see that going on thank you 
What's up, Mr. Stewart? How you doing, big dog? What's up, family? You better slow down. <laughs> <laughs> yep, back to work tomorrow now. And I had a full day's rest and good to go. <laughs> good to hear. Good to hear. Yeah, I miss I miss the beach. I miss being Outer Banks. I, I right. But um, oh, Mike, let's uh, let's get you on here. Hi, Mike. How's it going? Mike, you're you're good to go if you want. All right. So, um, anyone have any other questions you want to talk about? Fall camp. Um, any recruiting news? I saw hello. Was a lot. Oh, hey, news. Mike. Hey, I'm sorry. You want to go ahead, Mike? I, uh, some, somehow I thought the mic was on, but it wasn't. Uh, no, I know we talked about uh, recruiting a little bit, but I thought we could dig into it a little more. Uh, Carla has done an excellent job filling in rev, uh, income for a lot of the different areas. You touched on nutrition, uh, strength, and conditioning. I know we've added some additional guys, uh, folks, to the recruiting staff, in-house recruiting staff, but we're, we still trail badly in terms of money that's invested in recruiting. Uh, Clemson is spending more than, I believe, $2.2 million. Uh, we may be right around a million. I know Florida State's over $2 million. Uh, Carolina and the others are well into the millions, close to two. That's the thing that concerns me most. I know these guys work hard, but they need the resources too. Does Tony talk about that? Because he's coming from a school that that spent a ton of money in uh, supporting recruiting. Uh, we don't have that kind of budget, and that might be the difference between six, seven, and eight wins as opposed to seven, eight, or nine. Great question. Yeah, and I think, you know, Tony hasn't talked about it. Um, that's not something that he has addressed right now. Though what he's been addressing is basically building in-state relationships again, and recruiting the right athlete that fits the you know the UVA mold. Because you have to recruit a specific type of athlete, which is hard at times to find that right fit to UVA. You have to have a specific criteria. I want to want to say for Virginia, I think it's going to the first couple months for this staff was going to be acclimate to who to approach and who not to approach. Um, and I think until UVA's budget when it comes to recruiting is increased, because at the end of the day, you're going to need more money to recruit these guys, you know, especially with the way a transfer portal is until they figure out any transfer deadlines or yep. things like that, transfer windows like they do for the EPL and uh, European soccer. They're going to be working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And which is insane because those guys still have lives and family and they deserve to see their family at some point. Um, and so with them, it's just allocating your resources as effectively and as smart as possible until you have the resource, the additional budgetary resources that you need. And I think, well, I think there are a lot of little things that are helping them. Um, again, it's all right now. UVA is at a point where you don't want to be negatively recruited. Um, and again, having the facilities, a groundbreaking huge step forward because you want to have, you want to show 
the schools, like for example, you're competing against schools like Wake Forest and Duke. You're competing against Stanford. You're competing against these academic, you're competing against Virginia Tech. You want to show these student athletes that you're invested in their future. So again, you have the facilities. That's one less thing that they can negatively recruit. And that's how you should approach your recruiting right now. And obviously relationships. Yes, you want to recruit in state in which they're, they're trying. They're trying to go back in state and growing the relationships. And that's honestly where they have to start. And you're seeing that. You're seeing, you know, Miles Green from Highland Springs. He committed yeah. to Virginia. And those are the things that you want. Go into the DMV. Go into Northern Virginia. Uh, go back to Virginia Beach. Go into the 804 in Richmond. Um, and recruit in those areas, but start off with that because right, you're, you're not going to get a million dollars overnight. So this is how you approach, approach recruiting right now and just work on those relationships, work on those contacts for a little while and until you can, you, you can, I don't know if you ever can catch up because when you catch up, the other teams just get more money. So I don't know if this arms race is ever going to be something that you fully catch up in. Um, but it's just how you effectively use what you have. Um, yeah, I, I get that. I understand that part. The only thing that I'm most concerned about, we're, we're going to have a really nice facility, but in order to, uh, uh, in order to effectively run a, a good organization and a good, a good operation, you need operational money annually. And this school, unfortunately, my school tends to be a little cheap when it comes to investing and sustainable uh, recurring in, uh, income for football. We've got a lot of great sports, and I, I want to keep that. But I'm just really afraid that we're not going to give Tony everything he needs operationally in terms of revenue in order to do what he needs to do. That, that's my biggest concern. I think, I think that's a valid concern, but at the same time, you would hope that with everything that's going around in college football and the stuff with realignment and what's going around just with the changes there, you would hope that things that if certain things were to happen and different conferences come into play, or if, you know, if it's not the ACC anymore or something goes along there that they can see what type of environment that UVA will place under. Cause you don't want to be also embarrassed in the national stage. So you're, you're hoping that the, those in charge of the pocketbooks, as you would say, would also kind of see, what needs to be done. And also, you know, at this time, you know, Bronco was great at a lot of things. He was not the best fundraiser. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you have a guy like Tony Elliott, who's a very approachable guy who is, you know, really well liked by a lot of people. And his, he's got a very, you know, a personality that is intriguing, a personality that people really like. That's very different when you're trying to fundraise for a program, when you're trying yeah. to, meet so that could be a change too and especially if they have a good season this year again we look back at what the schedule looks like if they have a really good season this year just gives that oomph to the program um that could certainly help so i don't maybe i'm a glass half full person but that's what i would think there there's might be hope down the future if you know they, they can work that tony elliott charm a little bit they can show what the landscape of college football can look like yeah i know that the uh the in-house recruiters and the recruiting coordinators, they met as a, as a, as a collective group. I think they have an association. I think that happened a few weeks ago. One of the things that came out of that meeting was they're going to propose to the transformation committee of the NCAA for the reco reconstitution of the, um, uh, of the organization for in-house uh, recruiters to be able to go, on site 
to meet uh, recruits. Uh, that would help uh, uh, the coaches, but it also adds an interesting uh, element to it. Staffs like Georgia, they, they've got, you know, 30 or 40 in-house recruiters. They, they can flood, and the same thing that could be said with some of the uh, programs in the ACC, they could flood uh, the different markets with uh, people on the ground that we can't compete against. So that's going to be something that uh, we need to keep an eye on. Certainly, I know Tony's certainly aware of it, that it could be a possibility, but that's what we're up against. Yes, it's certainly one to, one to watch. You know, when you look at UVA's recruiting office, those guys work hard. But when you look at, for example, University of Florida, Billy Napier, I think his staff was like over 50 people compared to yeah. every like it's 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 a struggle. when you look at the other conferences and what their budgets look like for the recruiting staff. But, yeah, it's college football is changing a lot. And look at what UVA's recruiting office looks so much differently than it did just under Mike London. I think, you know. Blanda did a lot of stuff. <laughs> the guy had to do a lot of stuff back in 2013 for one guy to do and look your, your, a few years later and you've got, uh, I think, a handful of guys in the scouting office and you've also got, you know, Justin Sparrows, you got Lindsay, you got several people on the recruiting staff, you got Savannah 2J, so you've got um, Summer 2J, excuse me, you've got several different people working in that recruiting office you've got katie justo for on-campus recruiting recruiting so you got so many different people that in like what 10 years ago that would never been at uva always at one or two people yeah so they are adapting it might be a little slower but they are adapting so that that's your hope there yeah thank you jackie i appreciate that no problem so to that point mike brings up some good business um points and i know he's plugged in on that side and I wanted to ask the question in reference to um, NIL. Have you heard anything? Do we have focus groups that focus on some of these weak areas that um, that we're trying to thrive in? Yeah, I think a UVA. You know, I, I I talked to a lot of Cavalier Futures. That's I talked to a lot of Cavalier Futures. That's who are the NIL and Hooks Marketing. Uh, those are the two that I've talked to, and they're they're going. I think with the NIL is such a it's such a strange environment for UVA because UVA, and especially because they're in the state of Virginia, which has their own different laws compared to, for example, Florida, uh, which is one of the fewer, few, first few states to allow for players to have, you know, name, image, and likeness. And you've got schools like in Louisiana and California or to the high school athletes uh, can make money as well. So UVA is in a position where they're trying to navigate in a world where there's not there, there, there's no uniformity um, and I think they're moving in the right direction and I think with NIL I always say like the first year or two is going to be havoc and chaos and I think a lot of the, the student athletes are trying to navigate their way around it too but I think a lot of it is going to even themselves out within maybe four to five years because this is where this is where I'm thinking in like four or five years time I think that you know, let's say John Smith gets like a six-figure sum by by signing with this school, and he's there and he's playing, but he doesn't play his freshman year. He doesn't play his sophomore year. He's just got six figures to sit on the bench and being third or you know third on the depth chart and not seeing any game time. Will those people who funded for him to come early be more you know willing to spend that money again for another recruit to sit and not play? Um, and then these players, for instance. You know, when, this is one thing that you're going to see is maybe adjust to the market. If some of these players are going to think, I'm going to get this big, 
amount of money to go to school early on, but then I don't have what's next for me. If I don't go to NFL, I just lost, I don't have that long-term money. Um, so I think they're going to see some of that adjust in the market too for NIL. I think UVA is doing certain things and navigating it. You, would you want them to do more? Sure, but they're also tied because technically Tony Elliott can't be involved in anything NIL-wise. It has to be from the outside. So you're talking about Charlotte's local businesses. And this is where Cavalier Futures, having that collective has certainly helped things along. Um, having a guy like Brendan Armstrong having a deal with the local McDonald's is certainly something that helps with NIL. Um, you're never going to compete with Texas A&M NIL. You're never going to compete with even Florida NIL. Um but it's it's going to the right direction. I think a lot of these guys are trying to like, you know, I talked to, you know, one of the student athletes and he says, I, I don't I'm not really interested in LAO right now. Um, I'm just going to see what happens. So I, I think they're doing enough to explore that. Could they do more? Yes. But again, there, there's only so much the university itself can do because they can't really actually help broker any deals. Um, but there's things happening around the school, like Cavalier Futures, that is certainly helping. And Tony. Hey, Jackie, thanks. Uh, a couple things. Uh, Recruiting-wise, you know, people always uh, talk about what Virginia is doing recruiting-wise. I, th- I don't think people really ever understand that it's not an even playing field when it comes to recruiting the UVA athlete and other athletes. It's a, you know, you look at maybe four or five of the uh, top guys in Virginia have already signed with Virginia Tech. You know, Virginia has a couple. But there are a lot of guys that want to come to the university, but we can't get them in, quite plain and simple. You know, folks, that, that's not something that they publicize, but it's a it's a reality. You know, a lot of guys that want to go to that want to come to Virginia Tech, Virginia can't get into Virginia. They end up signing with Virginia Tech and they are talented guys. But it takes a certain type of athlete to be able to handle the rigors of academics at UVA. UVA doesn't care what type of athlete you are. You have to be able to perform academically or they'll put you out. The best example I can give you for that is Chris Warren. Chris Warren was runner-up rookie of the year when he was at Virginia. The next year, he was at Ferrum because Virginia was like, yeah, you're not handling academically. You got to go. You know, and so... That if, if that doesn't tell you a lot about the, the focus on academics at our university, then you just will never get it. When it comes to the NIL piece, you know, to your earlier point, we will never, ever be able to compete with those other universities who have been doing it under the table for years. And now they have it where they can just flat out play guys, pay guys. UVA, look, if you want to come and play football at UVA, then you're the type of person that want to come and play football at UVA. I love what they're doing. They're being strategic about the NIL because I am a firm believer as a former player that guys should get paid for their name, image, and likeness, you know, but I don't agree with how it's being used now uh, at other universities uh, because that, that's, that, that portrays the whole the whole meaning behind making sure that we're taking care of the players. It is it is un, it's unrestricted free agency, and there's no rules. At least the NFL has rules. 
Uh, this has no rules about it right now. So it's really getting away from what it should be about. And that is really, really disconcerting. Uh, when it comes to Tony Elliott and him developing the program that he wants to develop, I am so optimistic and so excited for him and this staff because he's going to do it the right way. He has the pedigree. It's going to take him a little bit of time. Eventually, I think the donors will come around because of the enthusiasm that he is bringing. I hope I'm not wrong. Uh, and I don't think I am. And it's between he and Carla who knows how to build a program because that Georgia experience for her, she's doing it the right way. She's bringing on the right people. And so it is. it has been great to talk to Tony and him tell me, Cov, I need you, I, because I asked him flat out, what do you need from us as alumni? And he said, I need you guys to be around this program i need you guys here these kids need to see what legacy is like they need to know the history and they'll only know that if you guys are around you guys are sharing the story you guys are talking to them about what they need to do to get to the next level and everybody's not going to be a pro athlete but at least to have you guys around and them see that you come with a credibility that they can appreciate because you've walked these grounds, you've played on this field, you know, you wear that orange and blue and you love it. They need to understand exactly what that is. And that that is the charge that he is has, has put before the alumni. And I said, Coach, I understand the assignment. And so I want to make sure that I'm assisting both he and Carla in any way that I can to get guys back to trumpet and talk about everything that's positive about this university and, uh, and, and having the donors understand it. Uh, I think Carla gave the best message and you know, because everyone, you know, all the donors, they love all of those Olympic sports that we have, that we're getting all those in NCAA championships in. But if you don't have football as a positive force at the university, those sports go away. And when she said that, I was like, it could not have been said any better. So my hope is that winning will cure all. I think that he's doing it the right way. I can't wait for this program to win and be successful this season. Um, I know that he will, and we're going to do everything that we can to support uh, him to that end. Tony, that's, that's well said. If I could just uh, uh, reiterate, Jackie, that one of the things that I believe is going to help Tony is how much money we've put into academic support. Uh, one of the problems that Al Groh's uh, era had was that we weren't putting that kind of money into academic support, and we lost a lot of top kids who couldn't stay in school. That's not happening as much anymore. And because of that, I think that's going to help this, the, at least the foundation of the football program under Tony grow because i know that was very important for bronco and as long as we keep putting the kind of resources in academic support then we can get in some of the kids that may be on the border but if even borderline kids can be uh really academic up coached up in order to perform at uva so i that uh, what tony just said is spot on we've got to be able to get kids that can stay in school but we got to have the resources to keep them in for sure. And actually, uh, that a lot of recruits that I've talked to, specifically one this year, said that and that's something that, something that he's worried about when, you know, he has the grades. He's not 
he he had no grade issues going in, but that's something that he kept looking for was how can I be okay at school when my schedule is so insane with football season and even in the spring with practice, how can I juggle with that? What's the academic support? So kids do want to see that. That's not something that is tossed around to say. Some kids do express that fear of failing in the classroom because they're going to be inundated with uh, so much work. Um, so that is something that is discussed among parents and kids as well. And kind of going with, you know, what Tony was saying was, I, I think there's got to be some patience when it comes to Tony Elliott and, and his staff, just kind of assimilating with everything that's going on and just figuring out what works and doesn't work at UVA. Um, because, Again, you're, you're working at different resources that he was accustomed to in Clemson, but also they came in, especially on the recruiting front, they came in so behind with 23 because when, don't forget, when Tony Elliott was assembling his staff, he was worried about trying to field an O-line. So he was recruiting the O-linemen for 22 when other staff members were recruiting 23 and 24s. So that's why when it comes to 23, all, some of the guys that committed were a little bit, you know, they, they offered in the spring, which is something that if you were on Wahoo's 24-7 mess boards, I kept saying, watch out for those guys they are evaluating in the spring and watch out for those new offers because that's some of the guys that they're going to be keying on pretty heavily in the summer. And we, that's some of the guys that they're going to be keying on pretty heavily in the summer. And we saw some of those guys visit. So... I, I think when you look at him, you're, you really should really start grading their efforts in 24 and 25 because then they were had a, a couple months in the game, a year or so in the game where they can get those in-state relationships going and kids can see how their film looks like because the kids want to know how the football program is going to look under them and see what's next, what's next after Brendan Armstrong. So a lot of those stuff will be able to answer in that way. So that's why I always tell people, yes, you're looking at 23. You're looking at the wins and losses head-to-head of what's going on with who's getting this recruit and when that recruit. Focus on the long-term goal here because there's a, you have to see what's going on in 24 and 25 as well to really evaluate this staff. So, again, just, just having a little bit of patience. And uh, speaking of patience, Ryan, you've been pretty patient uh, waiting to speak. So uh, go ahead, Ryan. Right. Thanks for taking my question. I am 10 years old and a four-year season ticket holder. With Tony Elliott wanting a more balanced offense, what is your thoughts of the running back unit? Who do you see as the primary running back so far? Well, actually, media star right there. Yes, future media future, star. Media star. Um, actually, you know, that's the, that's the question that we asked Coach Kitchings on Friday. Um, and he said, there's no one leading the pack right now. There, uh, I think that was a, a little bit of a challenge to Mike Collins. They, they've been not shy about uh, challenging Mike. Uh, you know, he, he said it best. He said that these coaches came in and they've been working him hard. You know, uh, when I talked to Coach Gaither, he said that, you know, Mike wasn't a D1 running back when he first saw him. And he said, you've got to improve yourself as a running back. Um, and when we saw him practice on Wednesday, what I really liked was they were doing this footwork drill, but Coach Gaither was on him and helping him position his arm and ball correctly. Like his, his arm was moving away from his, from his body. And when he was doing that, obviously, if someone came in and knocked the ball, it would be easily a fumble. And you see Coach Gaither going to him and pushing his arm down, trying to show him, like, put that ball back in there, put it next to your body. So 
that's how much they've been kind of hounding Mike um, to kind of, you know, get him ready for the season because unfortunately Ronnie Walker is not going to be available probably until late September. And unfortunately Devin Darrington was denied another year by the NCAA because technically he didn't play during the COVID year because of Harvard, which is hard. I still don't understand that decision, but anyways, he couldn't get that COVID year. So they had to bring Cody Brown in from university of Miami. Everything I've heard about Cody is that he, he was, he's a great running back. He was just buried in a depth chart but he still needs to work on his body and he need that's that's what he did he needs to get his body right for the season he needs to work on his conditioning he needs to just get ready for the season and unfortunately he didn't get at UVA until the summer so he's going to need some time to get used to everything and assimilate so i i still imagine mike collins would be your number one guy maybe paris jones here um but it, it's going to be it's going to be a a a play position battle going through the fall camp and it'll be interesting to see how that position battle goes through um we'll see how you know tony elliott challenged him again in the first practice and we'll see tony elliott on monday um so we'll see uh what he says but uh yeah great question because everyone wants to know about the run game no one wants brendan armstrong to be the leader of ball carriers again they want brendan armstrong to be safe and sound with no injuries um, leading into that second half of the season, which is, yes, they're having home game, but that is a brutal ending to the season. So I want Brendan Armstrong to be healthy for those games. Thanks for taking my question. I look forward to the first game. Yeah, no problem. I'll see you on ESPN in about 15 Sure will. <laughs> now, Love I'm giving a bad two. What's up, Mr. Lewis, T-Cub? I see y'all out there. I had bad time real quick. How, you, how y'all doing? How y'all doing? Yeah, so we will we'll stay here for another five minutes because I actually have bath time with my kids here in about five ten minutes. So, yeah. uh, so if uh, anyone else has any questions, go ahead. I just need a bath. Period. <laughs> so, so Jackie, one, Jack, one other thing, you know, I think um, the improvements that we'll see uh, on the defense this side will be exponential. I agree. Um, I, I think that there's more talent than people really think there is there uh, simply because the, the the scheme did not fit the kids that they had last year. And so it's unfortunate that it's unfortunate that those guys really never got an opportunity to showcase. It was all about survival, you know, and when they tried to implement that three, three, five in the spring, the kids were like, this is terrible. This is, you know, so they knew the, the kids were saying it in the spring and it, they just continued to try to force feed it, force feed it. So now, and then on top of that, the kids were scared to make a mistake, you know? And so I think what you're going to have is a coach in coach Rudd that is really uh, about the details. You know, it's about the individual work and uh, technique and, uh, you know, all of those things with his staff, those things will be very different than what the Virginia team experienced in the last few years, because you, you saw the decline every single year. And last year was just the worst thing that I'd ever seen. And so I'm excited for these kids, A, because they're having fun now. You know, they love the detail. They love the fact that they're being taught the subtle nuances at their positions, uh, you know, on, on, on things that are going to benefit them defensively. 
they're being put in positions to help themselves be successful. And that is the part that was missing. And so why, well, I hear everybody saying, Oh, you, you know, we don't know what the defense is going to be like. We are going to be pleasantly surprised because they're going to be fundamentally sound. They're going to be absolutely flying around and they're going to be supporting each other. And, you know, it, I, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait for so many people to eat crow. <laughs> uh, because I don't think they really understood what those kids were missing the last few years when, when it came to that individual coaching um, and, and just focus. No, no, I agree. I actually touched on that in the, in the top of the show saying how I think the, the defense is going to surprise a few people. And I, I, I think the defensive line is going to be one of the strengths of this team because of the depth that they have and some of the changes physically they had and what the staff did to the transfer portal. They highlighted the need that they had and they attacked it pretty strongly to get those guys on grounds. Um, and I agree with you completely. And I think confidence is huge for these guys, you know, talking to, you know, Darius Brant, for instance, he said they needed to, they needed to work on their confidence again. You know, talk about mental health of student athletes. Some of these guys, you know, were so criticized after last year. Um, so a lot of these guys needed to work back on their confidence. And I think going back to fundamentals like they did in the spring and now here in the fall to a certain degree when you go to practice and the times that we were able to see them, going through fundamentals and making them confident in their skill set is going to be big for this group that – Honestly, at some point last year, I feel like, you know, I all, you know, I do it on the podcast a lot where I try to humanize these student athletes because they got attacked quite frequently last year. And I think a lot of it was, you know, they, like you said, Tony, it was just, they, it was a scheme that didn't fit them. Um, these guys, they, they, they wanted to switch to a scheme where they didn't have the personnel for it. Um, and I think what I liked about this staff is they're, they're adjusting their scheme and they're figuring out players and moving them to positions that they fit more naturally so rather than think so hard about where they should be it naturally happens um so that's going to be fun to see these players finally having fun like you said but also you know i'm gonna have like you know talking to anthony johnson uh, i think it was during our podcast interview he's like i he's like i felt like the secondary was a scapegoat last year Every time something went wrong, it was always on us, and we get it. We're the last line of defense. But at the same time, you know, it was a lot of stuff ahead of us that was going wrong, either missed assignments or just stuff wasn't clicking. But they got a lot of the a lot of most criticism. And I feel like, you know, Anthony was saying, like, we have a chip on our shoulder this year because we want to show that we know what we're doing. We, we know this game. Um, so this is definitely going to be, uh, I think the defense is going to have something to prove and I think they're going to do it early on. Last question for you, um, Jack, before we let you go, thanks so much for holding this space. Uh, it's going to be talking football like this, you know, a few weeks into the season. Uh, I agree 100% with the defense. I know like we wasn't like a full roster during the, the, um, the spring game, but even then just watching the defense, I could visit. Uh, visibly see that like they just move different um they attack the football different and with that said i'm curious um which department on defense do you think is going to be the biggest surprise uh d-line linebacker core um or secondary 
I honestly, I keep saying the D-line because I'm just really impressed with what I'm seeing there with, you know, Cam, the addition of Camp Butler. Chico Bennett was hurt last year, so no one was able to really see what he can bring. Um, those two, I'm really curious to see in that bandit position. I think they're going to be, they can add that pressure uh, up front. They can add that pressure uh, up front because a lot of the stuff also was that a lot of the stuff was going on in the secondary because at the same time, they weren't pressuring the quarterback. So they have a lot of these guys up front now that can provide that pressure, that havoc that Bronco Benahal was known for before last year. Um, and, you know, actually going after the quarterback, which will help him a lot and ease some of the tensions that we saw with the secondary. So that's why I think the D-line is going to be who I think is going to be. I don't know if it's a pleasant surprise. If you watch them, it's not going to be a surprise to you. But I think a lot of people that are not following UVA as closely will probably be pleasantly surprised about that D-line. Hey, Jackie, could talk a little bit about what you've picked up and maybe Tony's picked up some of it too, that uh, Lex Long seems to be a real interesting piece of that secondary based on his size and the way they're using that, that third safety position. Uh, because he, he has the size to be able to almost play like a rover back and, and slide in around the linebackers and make some of those tough plays that we weren't able to make a year ago. Uh, do you have a sense that that's how they're going to use him? Yeah, I think I think I did see Lex Long within the twos, I believe, a little bit um, on Friday. I saw him there, and I think I agree with you and how – and that's actually how you can see how they re- what type of DBs are recruiting kind of fits that Lex Long mold a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I could see him using that position. Um, I, I think I'm more, I'm more curious to see – how they work the five DBs in with, I, I I know they're happy with their DB depth. And I think there are some uh, athletes there that I'm curious about uh, how they use, you know, like Lanston as well. And I'm curious to see if Antonio Clary could be one that has a breakthrough season this year. I think he was one that I thought could have a breakthrough season last year. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to do that. I think also the scheme had to, had to a little bit to do with that as well, but, I can definitely see what you're what you're saying with that. I think he does. I think Lex does fit the scheme a little bit. I could see him doing that rover as well. We, we have time for get... one more question. Oh, we can let you go ahead and get to that that baby boy of yours. <laughs> it's okay. My husband's dealing with uh, with them right now. They're playing outside a little bit. It's nice. It's not as hot anymore. So I, I got five more minutes. So if anyone has any more questions. It's good to be doing this again. Uh, any <laughs> recruiting notes you can talk about right now? Anything, um, you know, anything you want to give them? Uh, yeah, I know we just seen Stone commit to uh, Duke. Yeah, Deshaun Stone. Deshaun mm-hmm. Stone just committed to Duke. Uh, that Duke staff has been doing a very good job on the on the recruiting trail. Um, obviously, they've they won uh, two head to heads this summer uh, with UVA, uh, Samaj Turner and uh, Deshaun Stone. Um, and I think those are, those are the ones that you have to keep an eye on. Again, they had a little bit of a head start with some of these recruits. Again, they're in-state players, just like UVA wants to keep in-state players at home. So does Duke wants to keep in-state players at home. That's what they want to do. And that's what they're telling these guys. I will say what Coach Elko has on that front. Like, just like Coach Elliott, when he's recruiting an offensive playmaker, Coach Elko can go to these def- defensive playmakers and says, I'm a defensive coach. 
And they, they really gravitate towards that. That's why you're seeing like Deshaun Stone, Simone Turner really gravitate towards Duke. Elko is a good personality when it comes to that. And that's often what I'm hearing about them. Um, UVA right now, the, the name that, you know, they, they're going to take a smaller class now. They, they're not going to, I would imagine their class is going to be between 15 and 17. Um, that's, that's about it. So their, their class is almost there. So that's why you don't have the sense of panic because their class is almost filled. But they're, I imagine them getting, they have right now, they have Amari Thomas, and they also have um, Tyler Coleman, who was one of their recent in-state commitments. They were recruiting him as an athlete, but I can see him be as a wide receiver or DB, but I can see him right now as being a wide receiver target. He's a little bit more raw on the DB side. Uh, he hasn't had many reps on that, on that side of the ball, uh, which is going to try to do more fall. But they want to get probably like four wide receivers in total, maybe even five. So I would say the receiver is where I can see new offers go out. Although, if you're one who's 24-7 subscriber, you know that there's one receiver who's trying to lock in an uh, official visit. So if he locks in an official visit, and I think UVA is one of the favorites right now to land him, that would mean they would have three technically committed. So they would probably go one or two left. It kind of depends. And they also, although there's some players committed elsewhere right now, you always have to keep an eye out on them and always leave a spot or two for these four-star guys or upper three-star guys that may be still looking at your school. Um, so I would keep an eye out on that as the season progresses, especially if you have a successful season on the field. You're probably going to see some rumblings around a few committed players committed elsewhere that UVA will still recruit. So because – it is what it is. You're, you're never fully committed until you sign that dotted line, and everyone does this. So um, so I think when you're looking at UVA's class, you always leave one spot or two spots for those guys. You're still recruiting until the bitter end. Um, but I, I, would, I would watch out for one or two wide receivers uh, for Virginia to add in this class. Thanks again for everyone that came onto the Twitter space. Even if you didn't ask a question, it's just nice to interact with the UVA fan base. And I hope to do more of those Twitter spaces moving forward. But I also hope to do some live Q&As on a YouTube channel as well. So keep an eye out that and I'll make sure to give you guys a heads up on when we plan to do those. Um, most likely it will be towards the when the season starts. Um, we'll definitely have a couple of recruiting ones coming up and I'll make sure to have some experts joining us like Brian Doan, the recruiting analyst out of the East. Um, just so we can weigh in on what's going on in the recruiting front as well for Virginia. So once again, thank you everyone for joining us on the Twitter space. And we'll most likely have one more before the season starts. But again, I will give you guys a heads up and you can just follow me at Jackie Friend underscore so that you can be a part of the Twitter space as well. We will continue our coverage from fall camp throughout the rest of this week and going through the rest of August before the first week of game coverage. So make sure you keep following us on Wahoo's 24-7. And if you like what you're hearing through the podcast, why don't you go ahead and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your episodes. And also, why don't you go ahead and review and rate us on Apple and on Spotify. So thanks again, everybody. And I hope you guys have a good rest of your week.